0: You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We're studying the Gospel of John this year, and we're in chapter 9, and we're going to get to the story of a man who is suffering. Some of you experiencing suffering in your life. Maybe physically, there's a a chronic injury, illness, illness. Disease, And if it's not you that's experiencing it, then somebody that you love and know is. It's a part of the human condition. And when we're suffering, oftentimes we have questions. And and they're questions in a spiritual nature. Like, is God angry with me? Is that why? Is this what's going on? Is there something I did so therefore... I'm suffering. Well, here in John nine, we see that Jesus goes to and heals a man with a chronic problem. He was in fact blind from birth. And how does Jesus speak to him? How does Jesus minister to him? And the first question is, why do we suffer? Well, let's get into all of that as we open up this text to John chapter nine. It Begins this way, as he, that is Jesus went along He saw a man blind from birth. Now consider this this man. He has never been able to see. So he's never seen a sunrise or a sunset. He's never seen his mom's face. And to those that are looking upon him, they just see somebody who is cursed of God. You know, like maybe he was a bad man or maybe he's from a bad family Something caused this. Therefore, he did something or his family did something. He's an outcast. He is ostracized. This man, he didn't go to school, so he wouldn't have been able to be educated. He wasn't able to be in a position to work, so chances are he was never married, never had kids. He could not sustain a household. He's a beggar. He is a lonely, dejected man who is begging for survival. And Jesus and the disciples are walking by and the disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They think in only two options. Either this is a bad man or he comes from a bad family. And those are two bad options. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. So the issue is not sin. He's a sinner, but the issue is not sin. That's not the reason. Jesus continued, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When it comes to our suffering, there there tends to be two possibilities in regard to the answers of why we're suffering. Most of them hit in one category rather than the other. The two options are this, karma or kingdom. The natural default is for people to think in terms of karma. Karma, which is not Christian, is this. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And if bad things are happening to you, guess what? you're a bad person, that's their answer. Or if it's not you as a bad person, you come from a bad family. Well, just so you know, in, in Eastern religions where karma originates, there's not a whole lot of empathy and sympathy for those who are suffering because they figure if you're suffering, you did something wrong. You're a bad person, therefore it's your fault, your problem. How many of us haven't kind of gone in that direction, in that same error? Sometimes we see something happening in somebody's life and we say, man, I wonder what they did to deserve that. That's thinking in terms of karma. So the disciples come to Jesus and that's their thinking. Is this a bad guy or does he come from a bad family? And Jesus says, look, the issue is not sin. The issue is suffering. The Word of God can give us a variety of perspectives on suffering. So having just said all that I just did, number one, it could be a result of sin. How many of you have made bad lifestyle choices? And they affect your health negatively. So if you you don't eat well, you drink too much, then those things are not gonna go well for you. It's possible that you could be suffering as a result of your choices. Was this man suffering a result of his sin? No. It says he was blind from birth. So according to their reasoning, he must have done something pretty bad in his mother's womb. (laughs) A second perspective as to why we suffer We live in a fallen world. Nothing is as it's supposed to be. When God was finished creating the world, he said everything was very good, but then sin entered the picture, and ever since then, everything is corrupted, infested, tainted, destructed by sin. A third option. Sometimes it's demonic attack. Sometimes Someone is suffering not because they're ungodly, but because in fact they are godly. Think of the example of Job. Job chapter 1, verse 1 opens with Job being described as a righteous man who feared God, shunned evil, and yet his life was filled with tremendous suffering. His children die. He loses his wealth. So in other words, the family is destroyed. His flocks are wiped out. Physically on himself are boils that are, that are just irritating and, and making him cry out. Job suffers. And his friends come to him. And they want to know, okay, what did you do? And it has to be a doozy because look how bad you're suffering. The answer is, well, I'm not perfect, but I didn't do anything to bring this on. Job suffers not because he's an ungodly man, but because he's a godly man, and Satan is attacking him and seeking to harm him and destroy him. A fourth potential reason for suffering is sometimes things just happen to us. Sometimes we suffer, not because of something we've done, but because something somebody else has done. So somebody that's impaired or somebody that's distracted driving hits a minivan. And there are folks who are then seriously injured or worse, not because of anything that they chose to do, but it was caused by someone else. The Apostle Paul asks this question in the New Testament. Who has known the mind of the Lord? The answer, no one. How many times have you or someone else asked you why? Why did this happen? And a lot of times the answer is, I don't know. We live by faith, not by sight. There are a lot of things that we simply will not see until we see Jesus as he comes again. But these people think only in two categories. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And because bad things happen to him, he is a bad person. They don't give room for the fact that maybe he's a broken person. Is he a bad man? He's a sinner. He's not perfect. But he's not a bad man. He's a broken man. The issue is not sin. The issue is suffering. Oh, but to the religious people, they've already determined that he's bad. Therefore, no compassion. But if that's you, if you're the one that's suffering, you're crying out to Jesus and you want answers. Why, Jesus? Why? The better question is how? How can I use my suffering to glorify you? See, Jesus redirects the conversation. They're asking the why question Why is he this way? He says it's not about why, it's how. That the works of God might be displayed in him is Jesus' answer. <laughs> That there is a unique opportunity that you have through your suffering, not to waste it, but to invest it to the glory of God and let that suffering be a part of your witness and a part of your ministry. How can you glorify God through your suffering? Or or how can you help others glorify God through their suffering? Number one, if your suffering is a result of sin, then admit it. You can repent of it. Know that Jesus died to forgive you. That glorifies God. And and it brings help and healing and and hope into your life. A second thing you can do to glorify God in your suffering is you could use it as a testimony to believers. How many of you have seen somebody who truly, uh, deeply loves God and through their suffering you saw their faith shining through? And as a result, it encouraged you. Your faith grew by seeing their faith in action. This church is filled with wonderful, loving, uh, joyful people, and it's easy to, to be in your presence. And yet there are some people here in this church who go through incredible difficulty. But you have done so with such character and integrity and humility and honesty That it sets before us an example. It's a testimony to believers. A third thing, it can be a witness to non believers. Know that others are watching. And when hard times come, the question is how's your witness? Are you trusting God or are you cursing God? Are you running to God or are you running from God? Are you rejecting God because you didn't get what you wanted? Or are you running to God because he's who you want? And non-Christians are sometimes compelled by what they see in believers. And when we go through a hard time and they realize that you've got something, you've got a real relationship with a real God and I want that. And they'll want to know about your God and they'll want to walk by that faith. And number four, it is an opportunity to glorify God in ministry of comforting others. Now, that doesn't mean that God is bringing hard things into your life just so that you can be used to help somebody else. It also doesn't mean that God is bringing hard things into your life to prepare you for something worse yet to come. What can you learn through what you're going through to help others who are experiencing what you've experienced? The Bible calls this comforting others with a comfort we've received. So, if someone close to you dies, you are in a unique opportunity to help someone who's lost someone close. If you have an ongoing chronic illness, you are in a unique situation to help somebody experience what you've experienced. If your family is battling through a cancer diagnosis, you're in a unique situation to walk through that diagnosis with somebody else. If your spouse has abandoned you, you are in a unique position to bring comfort and encouragement and help and healing and hope to somebody who is also going through that process. This changes the conversation. And the story as it moves forward, we see Jesus rules over suffering. Next verse. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground. Some of you are thinking, I do that all the time. I'm being just like Jesus. He spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam, this word being sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. You know, like, is this the same guy? We're, we're confused. Is, is he healed? Is he, is he faking it? What's the deal? But he, inses- he himself insisted, I am the man. You see, that's where your ministry starts. Just share what God has done in your life. That's where you start. Well, then they ask, well, how then were your eyes opened? <laughs> they don't believe in miracles. Christians still have a hard time believing that God can and does heal. Next verse, he replied, "The man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, he told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed and then I could see." "Where is this man?" they asked. "I don't know," he said. It's kind of mean to ask a blind man. (laughs) We want an eyewitness. Where's Jesus? Well, let me tell you, up to this point, I've not seen anything (laughs) until just now. And I have no idea what Jesus looks like. So I'm not going to be able to help you. You see what this is? This is the beginning of the unveiling of the true king and his kingdom. Way back in Isaiah 61, 700 years before Jesus walked on the earth, it was the prophecy given that when the king comes, he will give sight to the blind. And Jesus himself quotes from Luke 4 when he begins his public ministry, and he is reading from Isaiah 61 when he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. So that when you see blind eyes opened, you'll know it's the king. Question, how many folks in the Old Testament... Born blind, were healed? Answer zero. So when Jesus shows up and he heals the blind, he's doing something unique. He's doing something supernatural. He heals a man born blind. So now let's compare this man, these religious leaders, and Jesus, the, the folks that we've seen so far. First, regarding this man, was he healed before or after his obedience? Jesus tells him, go to the pool, wash. Was he healed before or after he went to the pool? It was after. Some of you know that God has asked you to do something. And you're like, God, I just want you to bless me. But God's like, I want you to obey first. So often, his response is going to come to our obedience He's going to bless us, but it's going to be following that we do what he asks us to do. So he goes to the pool. The man washes. That's an act of faith. He doesn't know if it's going to work or not. But it's also uh, a little inconvenient. The guy's blind. Jesus tells him to go to a certain pool and wash. It's about a half a mile from where they are in the temple. Half a mile, blind, walking through crowded streets but he makes it to the pool and it worked. And his faith held him until he got sight. Okay, well next are the religious leaders. They have a problem because they can't distinguish between man-made rules, their rules and God's laws. Now, God has laws that are for all people, all times, all places. We have rules that are for us, but we cannot elevate them to the status of God's laws. So, God has a law. Obey the Sabbath. Keep it holy. But in addition to that, they add to it. On the Sabbath, there's no healing, they say. In addition, they say, well, you can't do work, and work includes making mud. Does Jesus break any of God's laws? Of course not. Does he he break any of their man made rules? Yes. But they can't see the difference between God's laws and their rules, and so they're ready to pounce on Jesus, oppose Jesus, criticize Jesus. And then, okay, then there's Jesus. Let me just tell you outright he is picking a fight. We usually think of him as the most loving, tolerant person in the world. Uh, he, he would never offend anybody. Let me tell you, Jesus offended people. And he still does. He offended them on that day because he healed on the Sabbath. But here's why it's offensive, because he didn't do it just once. If you put all the gospel accounts together, he healed on the Sabbath seven times. Why couldn't he heal on Monday? What's wrong with Monday? Why can't he heal on Monday? Because that's not offensive. (laughs) Sometimes God offends us because he wants to reveal to us that we have a position or we have some perspective that is not right and it needs to change and we need to trust him. Healing works, right? He goes to the pool. He's able to now see. There should be a party thrown for this guy. Nope. The religious people show up. (laughs) Next verse. They brought to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the man who had been blind. (laughs) This guy just gets to see, and who are some of the very first people he gets to see? (laughs) The religious leaders with their big hats and their clipboards and their checklists. Now, verse 14, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Oh, we see multiple violations here. Yes, yes, we do see these. Oh, the committee's gonna wanna hear about this. It goes on, therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received a sight. Here's what the man said. He put mud on my eyes, I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, well, this man, referring to Jesus, is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? Remember, no one in the Old Testament got their sight if they were blind. How do you explain that? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, well, he's a prophet. That was the highest honor he could bestow upon Jesus at that moment. He didn't really know who Jesus was, but he held him in high esteem. He honored him. Eventually, and you'll see it in a few moments, he will refer to Jesus. He will call him Lord. Story goes on. They did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. All right, now they're going to interrogate the parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can now see, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Let me me say this, there are three kinds of people in your life, and so two for Jesus. First, there are those people who are always negative towards you. It doesn't matter what you say, what you do, they're going to spin it so that you're the one that, that they're just attacking. That's the, re, the religious leaders. Everything Jesus says and does, they're going to attack and malign. He's not a God, he, He's just a man. And eventually, in a few moments, they're going to call Him a sinner. Second type of people that are around your life are those that are neutral. If it benefits them, they're your friend. If it doesn't benefit them, they're your former friend. Who in this story is neutral? It's the parents. They feared being excommunicated from the ability to worship with everyone else in the community. If they got thrown out of the synagogue, they perhaps would lose their job. They would lose their social standing. But more than that, they'd be made to feel that they'd lose their opportunity to go to heaven. They're neutral. How many of you maybe have been in that kind of position where somebody says, you know, you're, you're in a crowd of folks, whether it's at work or hanging around some folks, and they say, oh, those Christians. And you don't say anything. Maybe it's that way in your family. You're, you're just remaining neutral. But then who in this story is Positive. These are the people in your life who, no matter what, love you, will stand by you, and in this story, it was the man that was born blind. The amazing thing is, this man doesn't know much, but he trusts much. He probably doesn't have much education, which means he probably doesn't understand a whole lot, but he just met Jesus, and he's been trusting since the beginning of this meeting with Jesus. So let me ask you, what is your stance toward Jesus And if it's not positive, then you're worried about the wrong things. You need to receive what he has to offer, uh, forgiveness, grace, love, eternal life, and they are free. There's nothing to earn. Jesus simply wants a relationship with you. The story continues. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, well, he already was we know this man, again, they're talking talking about Jesus. We know this man is a sinner. In other words, the religious leaders are like, here's our perspective. We're good, Jesus is bad. He replied, the man replied, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? It's like, oh, you want to be on team Jesus also? Nope. They hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. Last week, it was Abraham that they touted. This week, it's Moses. The thing is both Abraham and Moses pointed to Jesus. And just as Jesus was before Abraham, he certainly is before Moses. And Jesus is the fulfillment of what Moses came to do as a deliverer of God's people. Here's what the leaders say We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. What they're saying is, we're biblical. Are they? Just because someone has a Bible doesn't mean they're biblical. To be biblical means you're opening it and you're following Jesus. Next several verses. The man answered, now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opens my eyes. We know this is still the man speaking. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. (laughs) They're going after his mom and dad. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Threw him out of the synagogue. You know what's weird? They kind of did him a favor. (laughs) You're not going to be on our team anymore. And I just kind of wonder if he said... Okay. He may not have understood much, but what he did understand is what they were arguing about means that they didn't understand. These religious leaders, they have physical sight, but they are spiritually blind. They don't see Jesus. They need a healing too. They need a miracle. They need a supernatural work of God. But here's what Jesus says, recorded in Matthew, religion is the blind leading the blind. These are blind leaders because they're not following Jesus. And if you're following someone other than Jesus, then you're following somebody who's blind. That being said, let's all be honest and just say, we've got blind spots. We all do. And how do I know? Because I've got them too. There are things in our life in our decision-making in our character that we may not see as a problem. We just think, well, maybe that's just my personality. That's my temperament. Every one of us has blind spots in our life. So the question is not who is blind and who isn't. The question is who is blind and acknowledges it and who is blind and denies it. This man knew he was both physically and spiritually blind and he invites Jesus into his life to heal both. But these religious leaders, even though they had physical sight, They had spiritual blindness, and they refused to accept it. What happens next is this man, and given his sight, remember, he's never seen Jesus. Now that's all going to change in this last section. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, now I want you to see this. Everybody else rejected this guy. Jesus went and found him. I want you to know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Maybe your family has abandoned you. Maybe your friends have abandoned you. Maybe your your last church rejected you. Jesus pursues you. He will find you. He found this guy. And he is pursuing you. And that is the good news and the hope of this story. Jesus heard they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? That's the question this whole story is pointing toward. Remember that phrase, son of man comes from Daniel 7. It's about the king, the true king coming out of heaven, bringing his kingdom with him as being born in human flesh. This is the king coming in in humanity. And he's bringing his kingdom. And what Jesus is asking this man is, Do you believe that I am your king? Do you believe that what has happened to you and what you have now experienced and being able to see is a result of my kingdom? Do you believe? Verse 36 Who is he, sir? The man asked, Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, He is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The briefest confession of a Christian is Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the one in charge. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one I trust in. Jesus is the one I hope in. He is the one I give my sin to. He is the one who comes to find me. He is the one who is preparing a place for me. And then Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. What he's saying is the religious leaders have closed their eyes to me. Well, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this. They asked, what? Are we blind too? Like, are we wrong? Yep. Last verse. Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. It really comes down to this. Those who believe in Jesus, those who don't believe in Jesus. Those who trust in Jesus, those who don't trust in Jesus. Those who open their eyes to Jesus, those who close their eyes to Jesus. And and let me close with this. Do you believe that he is the son of man? And I hope and pray that you will say, Lord, I believe. And if you believe, you will do exactly what this man did. He worshiped Jesus. He worshiped him, not out of fear, but out of faith. He was absolutely in love with Jesus, whom he had just met. Do you love Jesus? Do you love the fact that he went to the cross and died in your place for your sins? We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.